Hey everyone, I'm Haley Bloom-Peterson and this is Our Stories, Our Health. We're here to share your stories, your experiences with our so-called healthcare system, to shed some light on the ways in which it fails us, the ways others profit off of us, to show you that you're not the only one who can't figure this whole thing out. We all have stories and in telling those stories, we become the vehicle for wholesale change. Before we get to today's episode, I want to pause for a moment to honor the life of Dante Wright. We can't talk about healthcare without talking about police violence, violence that is primarily targeted at our black and brown neighbors. It is a public health crisis. And as you'll hear from my guest today, police violence in black and brown communities has health implications that permeate throughout life. It's the fourth annual Black Maternal Health Week a campaign founded and led by the Black Mamas Matter Alliance to deepen the conversation around Black maternal health, amplify community-driven policy, research, and care solutions, center the voices of Black mamas, women, and families, and enhance community organizing. A link to the Black Mamas Matter Alliance is in the show notes if you'd like more information or to get involved. JMAG's research focuses on the impact of structural racism on maternal and child health inequities, looking at perinatal care models to address inequities in access and quality of care, and acknowledging and challenging how structural racism and anti-Black racism is perpetuated in public health and health care. Here's JMAG. My name is JMAG Carbia, and I am a PhD candidate um, at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health in the Health Services Research Policy and Administration Program. And I work closely with the Moore Lab and the newly founded Center for Anti-Racism Health uh, Research for Health Equity um, alongside my advisor, Dr. Rachel Hardiman. The Moore Lab is new to me. What is it, and how does the work in the lab connect to the Center for Anti-Racism Research for Health Equity? So the Moore Lab is measuring and operationalizing racism for health equity. Um, So it's mostly a group of um, academics. So just research meetings and it's very, there's a lot of uh, PhD students who are working on some pretty innovative work, um, looking at how we measure structural inequity and how these structural inequities contribute to the disparate health outcomes we see. Um, Versus the the center, which is more community facing, and the Moore Lab is more an exchange of research ideas. In the Moore Lab, it's it's kind of connecting researchers who are doing similar work. Um, and a lot of us, um, and it, it's a huge way to get support for, for younger researchers. So it's a lot of PhD students who are thinking of these novel ways. And, and Dr. Hardiman does a good job of bringing in established career folks who are also working with similar measures to kind of help us better develop our ideas. Can you share a little bit more about your specific research and how you came to this field? Yeah. um, So currently, um, broadly in a variety of ways, my research focuses on the impact of structural racism and maternal and child health. And and so I've done work both um, looking um, at perinatal health um, outcomes and perinatal health models and, and policy Um, approaches to alleviate the racial inequities that we see when we look at perinatal health outcomes. And my dissertation work focuses on the experiences of children and adolescents. Um, And kind of how I got here um, was having a big aha moment about why we we see the health inequities that we see. I I think, at least for me, when I was a lot younger and, and not 
exploring these things um, from an academic perspective. It's very easy to see uh, and know that Black folks have worse out health outcomes than, than their white counterparts. Um, specifically, I come from a reproductive health background and an interest in that. But when we really look deeper, we, we see that a lot of the inequities that we see and a lot of the inequities that continue to persist are the result of, of bigger structural factors, right? Like these are things that we're not gonna face, um, fix by educating people better. These are things that we're not gonna fix um, by creating more pamphlets um, or, or telling people that they're doing, it, they're not behavioral problems. They're, they're deep problems that are the consequences of, of deeply rooted inequities in our society. And it can really only be addressed by focusing on those deep things rather than um, what public health has historically done, which has been focused on behavioral health interventions. You mentioned perinatal health and uh, perinatal care models, and then approaching inequities at a structural level. Are there clinics or healthcare centers practicing alternative models in Minnesota? And what does that look like? How how might that do some of the structural work? Roots Birth Center um, is the only Black-owned freestanding birth center in the state of Minnesota and is um, one of very few in the country. Um, and when we talk about Black maternal health and we talk about solutions, the inequities that we see, uh, Roots offers a, an outstanding alternative model and, and they are a birth center that provides culturally centered care um, in a way that centers the needs um, of black birthing people, but but all um, specifically, but all birthing people more generally. And, and what we see at Roots and, and models like this that are very targeted and intentional in these ways is that we see health outcomes that within the literature we've talked about being impossible, right? This is, this is a center that has been open since 2015 and has had very few, if, if any, reports of prematurity within their, within their clients. Um, they provide care that has, compared to what we see in traditional care settings, dramatically reduce um, the rates of prematurity and maternal, um, maternal complications. And, and truly, that model is because they, they center at the margins, as I was just talking about. They center the needs of black birthing people as part of their practice rather than seeing, like I, like I mentioned earlier, focusing on these disparities as an issue with black birthing people, um, but rather thinking about the systemic influences that leads, lead to these disparities. So it's Black Maternal Health Week. What are some of the top of mind problems when you think about black maternal health? Um, top of mind for me is is racism, um, both interpersonal or institutional and structural. Um, and I, I say that because, as folks listening may know, there are alarming inequities um, for, for Black birthing people. We know they're three to four times more likely to die during pregnancy, um, do die from pregnancy-related complications than their right counterparts. But when we when we look at the data, what we see is that these trends persist across what we consider to be the um, to be the, the usual indicators um, of, of health. So across income level, across education level, and and when we really look at the data, what we hear is that the problem is that black birthing people 
are often not respected and trusted when seeking um, medical care. A and um, this is obviously a problem for, for black, uh, black people seeking care in, in other areas. Um, but I, I think for me, the biggest problems lie within the structural piece, um, lie within this deep history um, of discounting the needs and experiences of Black birthing people um, that, that translate and continue to exist within medicine. Um, for example, a few years ago, um, there was, I think it was a Vogue story. So it was about three or four years ago when there was a lot of national attention around Black maternal health and story after story about Black, um, pregnant Black people who who lost their lives, what, what we kept hearing is that they communicated that they were in pain or they communicated some form of distress and medical providers simply didn't believe them, didn't trust that they were accurately evaluating what was happening with their own bodies. And, and that's not, and, and that's an issue that's not because this birthing person was not educated enough or didn't know what to look for. That's an issue that shows within our medical system there is this real apathy and lack of empathy towards Black people. And, and oftentimes for Black birthing people, um, this empathy gap is deadly. Um, so yes, it's, it's all structural when we think, and it's, it's not individual providers that are um, necessarily bad people. It's a, it's a system that creates environments in which it is normalized and considered acceptable to treat black birthing people in these ways. I really appreciate that when I asked you what is the biggest problem, you didn't say that black birthing people are dying at a rate three to four times that of white birthing people. You said racism um, because that, that statistic is not the problem. It's a product of the root problem of the racism in our system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think often we, we want to frame it in a certain way that makes it seem like a very small achievable problem, right? So if we focus on race as the issue, we can, we can just focus on black birthing people, right? Like how do we get those people to be better? Um, but when, when we really look at it, this is a conversation about racism and, and this, is, this is a big undertaking, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it's not something, it's something that needs multifaceted, um, multi-departmental uh, approaches to really addressing if, if we really are committed to creating a, a more equitable future for Black birthing people. What are some other impacts or outcomes of structural inequity in birthing and in perinatal health aside from higher rates of maternal mortality? Yeah, so there are a multitude of ways. Um, and, and, and as we all know, like health is not something that's created within a medical setting, right? It's something that starts well before you see a provider and continues well after. So, so we can think about the, the consequences of this or the, the impacts of the structural inequity starting um, as early as where black birthing people live and the, the resources that they have access to in their neighborhoods. Um, and, and this is both in terms of racial residential segregation, but also in terms of environmental racism and, and the exposures that that, that pregnant person is, uh, is experiencing, but that is also impacting um, their child, right? Um, we also think about 
I think something that's very salient and and unfortunately always been true, we, we think about the criminal legal system and, and the impacts that it has on, on the stress experienced by um, black birthing people, especially here in Minneapolis, as, as we think about Dante Wright and we think about Philando Castile and we think about so many others, um, George Floyd, who, who have been um, victims of police violence and thinking about the stress that that has on black birthing people, right? So what does it mean to be someone who is, is with child, but know the deep reality of the inequities that your child will face once they are born? Um, what kind of stress does that put on that black birthing person? Um, so those are, those are some of the, um, the kind of other institutional manifestations of the structural inequity. But we also know that even when seeking care, um, that, that Black birthing people often report lower quality relationships with their providers, um, not feeling trusted or not feeling listened to. And this isn't even during the laboring process. This is, this is when seeking prenatal services. And, and we know from the data that those first interactions are crucial if we want to keep people engaged and um, and connected to the um, to health services during the course of their pregnancy. So if past this institutional piece, if, if folks are engaging with the healthcare system and are, are met with these very traumatic experiences of interpersonal racism or um, just entering spaces that are structurally designed to make them feel unwelcome, we, we also lose people there. And, and those are those are people who then don't necessarily receive the necessary medical care that could help them ensure that they have the healthiest and safest um, pregnancies. You mentioned the stress experienced by Black birthing people due to law enforcement, and there are other structural pieces that can add stress, like income inequality, redlining, the list goes on. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about the biological piece of that stress or that trauma being passed from parent to child and how that puts a child at a disadvantage when they're born, which speaks to that, um, that, that systemic and structural racism playing out over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. We, we know that, that the outcomes we see in terms of black infants being more likely to be born low birth weight and premature are often directly linked to these stressful everyday experiences that black birthing people um, experience. So, so we know that stress leads to increased cortisol production, um, which is more um, increases the likelihood of um, you entering premature labor and things like that. And so, like you said, it is it's very cyclical mm -hmm. um, because then you we, we know um, the difficulties that are associated with preterm births, um, many of which um, persist throughout the life course. In your research and all of the work that you're doing, what are some of the solutions that are in place or being considered that you've come across and um, what potential solutions are missing from the conversation altogether? Yeah, I think there has been a tremendous amount of progress in the last three or four years around the issue of black maternal health. Um, and I say that at a national level because there have been so many people who have been working and dedicated to this. Um, so organizations like 
the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, or even folks who take on broader reproductive justice issues, such as Sister Song, have always have been working on these issues for for decades because they they realize the urgency of it and, and, and the immediacy of it. Um, but when you think about the policy solutions um, I, I, that are the, the easier ones and, and the ones that are that you think folks are a little bit more reluctant to engage with, um, I think generally speaking, um, we can think about framing black maternal health as a reproductive justice issue mm-hmm. um, it is a big one. And, and many organizations like the National Birth Equity Collaborative um, have laid out points, these points and similar points about how we really address these inequities. So, so prioritizing reproductive health and autonomy at, at the federal level, right? So how do we establish an office of sexual and reproductive health mm-hmm. um, and, and really commit our dollars and commit our energy um, to these issues? Um, second, also um, thinking about this as a human rights issue, the right to health and the right um, to safety during pregnancy as not a luxury, but rather a right that folks should be guaranteed within our country. Um, and, um, and, and some, uh, so like those are really big picture issues um, that I, I think have been under under discussed. Um, mm-hmm. From a more practical um, policy level, uh, we've seen a lot of movement on the front of of how how do we from a federal level support better health outcomes and and a, and a huge a huge win that has been made recently was the creation of an 1115 Medicaid waiver to allow um, increase access to Medicaid for birthing people so increasing access from six months postpartum to a year postpartum because we know that the risk of maternal death is not something that ends immediately after after birth. It, it's mm-hmm. the risk of death actually extends across the entire first year postpartum, um, and and that's something that the Biden administration, in a, in a recent press release, has has discussed committing dollars and, and federal efforts towards because we know that's something that works. We know that is a, that is a very concrete way we can support birthing people. Um, um, other other policy things. There's been a huge push on reinstating and regularly convening maternal mortality review committees mm-hmm. um, because you can't solve a problem that you don't fully understand, right? Um, and and for years there's been this patchwork of maternal mortality review committees across the country, with some states convening periodically, some states not even having maternal mortality review committees. Um, and, and so really being intentional about the establishment um, of these committees, but also collecting that data, right? So mm-hmm. it's not it's not a trivial occurrence when a birthing person dies and we shouldn't treat it as such. We should fully evaluate every maternal death that happens in our country and really narrow down the where we as providers, we as policymakers, failed these people and how we can we can make sure that this doesn't happen to other people now we have a pretty dismal 
maternal mortality rate in this country. How do we compare to other countries? Yeah, among OECD countries. So the U.S. Um, has a maternal mortality rate about that is about 26.1 or 26.4 um, out of every 100,000 live births, I believe. And that is multiple times higher than, than any other similarly um, economically advanced country. And so I think I think that also highlights that this isn't just a black birthing people problem. This is an American problem mm-hmm. that that tends to, as with most things in this country, due to our our, our racial um, rate, um, how we deal with race disproportionately impact um, um, black folks, indigenous folks, and other um, folks who are from communities of color. Traditionally, I think a lot of people think of maternal health as being the healthcare you get starting when you find out you're pregnant and ending when you have a baby. Um, what are some other areas of healthcare that folks might not think about as readily that impact maternal health and specifically black maternal health? I think all healthcare relates to, to maternal health. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all interconnected. Just to put it bluntly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so people with with uteruses exist before they get pregnant and they exist after they get pregnant and if we want them to have safe and healthy pregnancies we need to make sure that they are safe and healthy during all of their life course mm-hmm. and, and and i think a huge um a huge investment that we need to make um is is in broadly speaking, sexual and reproductive health services, mm-hmm. right? Um, again, thinking about, about this as a reproductive justice issue, we need to make sure that people have access to appropriate reproductive health care that they need um, at all points during their reproductive lives, not just during this um, specific moment. And um, additionally, I, I think outside you said medicine, but as a health services researcher, I, I think about both in and outside medicine. So if we're providing access to regular health care when, when someone is a child, when someone is a teenager, um, um, and we're providing that preventative health care, that is one way within the medical system that we can ensure um, that we are helping people have the safest and healthiest birth. But we also have to think about other institutions, right? Do we do we have social institutions that allow people um, to be safe and fulfilled in other aspects of their life, right? Be- because as we talk about stress and, and how stress impacts both um, both maternal health, but also perinatal, um, like infant health, we have to think about the fact that these stressors come from outside of our, our encounters with medicine, right? So folks need to be economically supported. Folks need um, to be um, have supports economically, but also have the ability to live in safe neighborhoods, have the ability to send their kids to schools um, that they feel are safe and welcoming and affirming. Um, I'm a big picture researcher, so my answer to everything is going to be everything is connected and we can't really solve this unless we are really working on all fronts. I love that so much. If you or anyone were to ask me what are some of what are some big healthcare issues, I'd say 
transportation, education, mental health, housing, all of these things are part of healthcare. And I think that one of the things we've learned, especially in the last year, is that our public health system is just not up to par. It's not able to do the job of a public health system because it doesn't have resources or it doesn't have staff. And I think that's because as a country, we've decided that healthcare starts when you enter and ends when you leave a doctor's office or a hospital. And it really needs to extend beyond that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that like policing is also a huge part of, of health, right? Well, and, and you made the point earlier that how law enforcement shows up in communities can be particularly harmful to black birthing people. And I don't think we can detach the death of Dante Wright from maternal health when we know he called his mom. We we don't think about what the mothers or parents of black children have to reckon with because of policing in our state and in our country as as part of maternal health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is. These these issue issues are interconnected. And if we truly think about maternal health from a reproductive justice perspective, as I believe we should, but when we when we talk about this, we're not only talking about a person's right to have a child. A very important other aspect of this reproductive justice framework is the ability to um, parent the children that you do have in the ways that you choose. Uh, and so thinking about what it means to feel that you do not have that ability because there is, because the state determines that your children are a threat, that the state determines, um, and again, I'm speaking about state broadly, not the state of Minnesota specifically, but um, that that within our society, both you as, as, a, as a Black person, but also your children are inherently seen as less deserving of life, as, as inherently threatening, as inherently criminal. And so when we talk about uh, Black maternal health, we have to think about the stress that comes with that. We, we, like to, we like to hope that pregnancy is a time of joy and happiness for families. But when you have to deal with that pain and that inescapable reality that there at any day you may lose your child because someone felt threatened by them or that you may lose your partner um, because someone felt threatened by them. I, it, it's so difficult to understand and, and really deal with the, the stress that that can cause someone, right? So that not um, both people who are pregnant, but pe um, people who are thinking about getting pregnant, people who have children, that ongoing stress and what that does um, to them every single day of, of, of dealing with that. Um, and, I, and I think right now we, we are in this big moment and it feels like a flashpoint that unfortunately has been going on for over a year now, right? Like we, we couldn't even make it to the, the anniversary um, of George Floyd's death without there being yet another, another incident um, of a black person being killed by law enforcement. Um, but, but we know that this is not, this is a flashpoint, but this is not a single moment. We, we know that this, um, 
criminal legal um, surveillance of black communities is something that has existed in Minnesota for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know that black neighborhoods are over-policed. We know that black birthing people every day deal with what we are now seeing on a national, national level. Um, and, and I'm not talking necessarily about um, the murder of black men, but the constant threat of that. The, the, the knowing that your partner is being stopped multiple multiple times a month simply for driving or um, and, and not knowing which one of these interactions could be fatal. Um, and so living with that persistent um, stress and that persistent fear um, is, is unbearable um, and truly, truly heartbreaking. Um, and, and, and I think, so crucial to, to the conversation about Black maternal health. If, if we are talking about ensuring safe and healthy pregnancies um, for Black birthing people and their children, we need to create an environment that is safe and healthy for them. And we cannot do that with, um, with the criminal legal system the way it is. We cannot do that when we know um, we know that law enforcement has um, a disproportionate presence in these neighborhoods, we cannot do this when we know we have a legal system that arbitrarily and excessively ex- um, assigns fees and fines to black motorists. We, we cannot do this um, in a system that disproportionately um, sentences black and brown folks. Um, so. We, we can't talk about maternal health and maternal equity without talking about policing. Um, and, and, I, and I think that is a truly crucial, it, it's, it's a very important part and a very important conversation that we need to be having more regularly. Um, and as folks who are committed to reproductive justice and reproductive health, I, I think we also must now start having conversations about how um, abolition um, is is a part of achieving health equity and reproductive health equity. I'm glad you brought up Black maternal health as part of an overall reproductive justice movement. Reproductive justice is a movement that is and has been led by Black individuals and those, you know, most affected by a system that doesn't value reproductive freedom. And it, it goes, you know, it goes back centuries. Yeah, I, that's, completely true um and and something that um I think about often and and I think should guide how we talk about maternal health generally not just black maternal health Mm -hmm. um is is a quote um from the the Combahee River Collective um that says if black women were free it would mean that everyone else would um would be free since our freedom necessitates the destruction um of multiple systems of oppression Right, um, and and we know from the work that reproductive justice advocates have done in the, in the past that when we center black birthing people um, and black people in our work, everyone benefits. Uh, and so, if we center the people who are at the margins, the folks who have been historically underrepresented and historically underserved, the only outcome is good for all of us. And I think going forward, that needs to be 
just how we do everything. Like if, if we're really committed to this, um, we need to think about what it means um, to center Black voices um, and Black birthing people um, in, in all reproductive um, justice conversations, um, especially in, in leadership positions um, and in, in decision-making roles. So my last question for you is, what are your hopes for our healthcare system? Um, generally speaking, um, our, my hopes for the healthcare system are my hopes for the world. Um, I like to dream of an anti-racist future um, because I feel that is crucial to achieving all of our healthcare goals. Um, if we think of a healthcare system that is truly centered on the health and well-being of populations and unencumbered um, by by centuries um, of racial inequity. Uh, And there are these historical beliefs about Black folks being somehow superhuman and super pain tolerant or or simply biologically different from white people that are still very present within our healthcare system um, and and influence how we care for patients. Um, Also, this this anti-racist future, I imagine, is a healthcare system that truly incorporates the voices of multiple communities, um, incorporates the voices of, of Black Black people, um, Black birthing people specifically, um, and truly is designed in a way that uh, that can can fully serve and support um, birthing people. Jmeg, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. We know it's hard to stay up to date on all that's happening around COVID-19, but we're here to make that a little bit easier. Our Stories, Our Health is committed to bringing you timely, science-based information and the stories of Minnesotans as they make their way through this challenging time. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at OurHealthMN. That's O-U-R-H-E-A-L-T-H-M-N. Or head to our website to share your own story, OurStoriesOurHealth.org. We get through this together. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and maintain social distance. For you, for me, for all of us.